Blog Talk Radio. Hi, and welcome to The Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. Don Schwartz is an actor and journalist. His book, Telling Their Own Stories, Conversations with Documentary Filmmakers, is available from Amazon. His film reviews and filmmaker profiles appear regularly on FromTheHeartProductions.com, and Don posts new reviews almost daily. He holds BA, MA, PhD degrees in psychology and counseling. And Carol Dean and Don Schwartz love documentaries, and they created this show to encourage people to watch more docs. Claire, we want to support documentary filmmakers because I believe that they're our greatest filmmaking asset. They find important stories that are unique and make a contribution to society, and we should really realize that these are the least paid, the documentarians, and the most dedicated. So let's get started today, Don. I want to hear what you think of the film Capital C. Well, thank you, Carol. Capital C is the title, and of course, that C could stand for anything. In this case, it stands for crowdfunding. This is about uh, people who who uh, fund their projects uh, through this uh, uh, new phenomenon. And the film covers three men during their crowdfunding campaigns. And, uh, and it also includes interviews with, I guess, experts or authorities about crowdfunding. The film is produced and directed by Timon uh, Burkhofer and George M. Uh, Kundinger, and I apologize uh, for my mispronunciations of their names and all the names in this show. Uh, and what's fun about this film is that it was executive produced by 586 people from 24 countries, and you can find the film on iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, Xbox, Vudu, Netflix, and Lord knows where else. But the film follows three men, as I said before. Zach. Zach wants to manufacture designer bottle cozies. And Jackson wants to design playing cards. And Brian wants to create a sequel to Wasteland, a video game from more than 20 years ago. Is there a market for that? And if so, uh, what does this market want? Uh, And what I liked about this film, Carol, is it, it doesn't just follow the campaigns and the excitement and the question of will we get the money or will we not get the money it follows what happens after they get the money and just like there's a price to play excuse me a price to pay for failure there's also a price to pay for success absolutely good you're spot on don so uh when it comes to zach the cozies that he he uh he got going it was very successful and Urban Outfitters decided to knock him off, and that was uh, that was the crisis he faced. He faced another crisis too when when he was able to get on, go on to a, a show called Shark Tank, where uh, in, investors uh, hear your your proposals and they they choose a proposal to fund. Uh, 
And then Jackson, wants to, the man who wants to design playing cards, he has a day job. And as a result of winning uh, his crowdfunding proposal, he has to work nights, to, in the middle of the night, literally, uh, to design his cards, and he has a wife and two children. And Brian, who wants to create a sequel to the video game Wasteland, uh, he, he's, he's really concerned if there's a market. It's, it's been two, two decades or more, and if, if there, and times have changed, and the reality of video games have changed, and can he fit in? And and can he needs to make sure that there's a market. And he wants to make sure he he serves this market. So he goes through a lot of machinations trying to get clear about all that. And for me, this fun this film was revelatory, and it it does to me what I guess it does to a lot of people. Well, what 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 campaign would I want to crowdfund? <laughs> and it also tells you how hard it is, doesn't it, Don? Yes, yes. But I must confess, it looks exciting. If you if you can get a proposal up there, it looks then you've got a. It's quite exciting. Uh, uh, it's like essentially a form of gambling, but a, a, I would say a noble form. Yes, it is. Well, we've been crowdfunding around here from the Heart Productions for three years now. So. I really enjoyed this film, and I highly recommend it for many reasons, technically, storyline, uh, caring, supporting, nurturing people, the new social networking and what it can do for you. But anyone who's thinking of doing a crowdfunding campaign must see this film. Uh, because it, the important things to learn in here is, one, you just can't beg strangers for money for something that benefits you and then expect them to help you because it just won't happen. You need to create a relationship with people. They have to know you. You should think of it as a romance. You would never ask someone to marry you on the first date because you'd never get a second chance. So it takes time for donors to get to know who you are. Because they're giving the money to you, not to the project or the film, but you personally. So it's the cap on a long relationship. And after they know you and they're part of your lives, then you ask your crowd, do you want to help me? I want to create my best work. Are you there? And they'll say yes. And crowdfunding is not about money. And to think of it that way is just to misunderstand what's really going on. Crowdfunding is a way in which an individual gets to participate in and gets to feel part of something that really matters to him or her very deeply. In crowdfunding, you're building a cohort of creators that enables them to sit down and say, this guy or gal's got a great idea and I'm going to help them create it. Social media is probably the most significant social development of the last 20 years. Social media is now allowing a dialogue between the artist and their fans. And you want to have a creative way to do this social networking because you want to stand out from the crowd. It's not about what you receive. It's about making something happen, creating something together from other people's money and other people's support. It's a shared endeavor where people want to be involved with you and your project. So successful businesses started online are continuing to communicate with their audience for ideas and suggestions. This way they benefit, and so does the customer. 
And one manufacturer uh, actually gets his original designs directly from his audience in the film, and then he manufactures them. And another built his game with ideas from the audience by continuing to communicate with your audience, and that's really how you enlarge your fan base. People are more likely to talk about you and your products because it brings them social currency. Jonah Berger told us in Contagious that word of mouth is still the best advertising you can get, that that's your reward for social networking and for crowdfunding. I appreciate the information the filmmakers give us, and they explain the pitfalls of business that I'm very familiar with after running a film distribution company for 33 years. I had an original idea of selling tested short ends back in the 70s, and I purchased from the studios, and within a few years, I had six competitors. So this is something you would never consider in your business plan, and it can cost you in many ways. And they brought this up in the film. I really enjoyed watching these emerging entrepreneurs discuss their commitment to the crowd and the business the crowd helped them create. I think, Don, that this crowdfunding is the largest paradigm shift since the Industrial Revolution. Through crowdfunding, you find that innovation is becoming increasingly viable for users, either as singular individuals or collaborating with others. And I think we're at the very beginning of this phenomenon of crowdfunding. We have no idea what a crowd can do. When you look at Wikipedia, who would believe that people could create such a brilliant database. It's only the beginning, and we have no idea what we can do as a crowd. So, Don, let's go to this the most talked about film of, of this year, Making a Murderer. Yes, Carol, Making a Murderer. Unless you've been living under a rock, you know about this 10-hour, <laughs> 10-part documentary uh, on Netflix. And I have a, a bit of a backstory, Carol, uh, about my relationship with this film, because you started it. Uh, and so, Carol, you told me about six weeks ago or so to watch Making a Murderer. And essentially, when you say jump, I say how high. So you said it was on Netflix, and I went to Netflix, and boom, hours. And I resisted. <laughs> I resisted. I was almost going to call you and say, I, I can't do that. But I, 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 out of faithfulness and loyalty and dedication and commitment, I started it. And after about 15 minutes, I was hooked. And this is before I knew anything about it. This is before there was a public dialogue going on. So for me, I was immediately captivated. And what kept me captivated is I did not know what was going to happen next. Every five, ten minutes, what's going to happen next? For ten hours. And I loved it, and I was really grateful, Carol, that you got me into this, because I don't know, if, I, if you hadn't said anything, I don't know what, if I would ever seen this film. And, uh, and, and also, Carol, I had this uh, quandary that I told you about that, well, I, I don't want to talk about this on, on air because, because uh, I'll be giving away plot points, but what's going on with this national dialogue is everybody knows the plot, whether or not they've even seen it. And they, <laughs> I know it. Everybody's talking about it. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. And and so I saw The Daily Show uh, a couple nights ago, and, and they had the, the two filmmakers, Wire Demos, and I can apologize, Wire, Wire Demos and Laura Ricciardi. And yes. 
they were talking about the film. And I, I want to just, just for people that haven't seen the film or haven't heard about it, I just want to just, uh, just do an extremely quick summary. Uh, Stephen Avery lives in a, a rural region of the state of Wisconsin, and he is falsely convicted and imprisoned for 18 years for a brutal rape. And the Innocence Project got him exonerated. He sued, and he he uh, he got a a ruling of about a thirty-six million dollar uh, judgment for him. And right about that time, he was going to uh, receive that money uh, or receive some version of that money. He uh, he was accused, arrested, tried, convicted of murder, and is now serving life without parole. That's uh, that is the raw bare bones of that story and uh, and i was moved by seeing Moira and laura talk about their film on, on the daily show and and most of the dialogue the national dialogue is about did he do the did he do it or did he not do it the murder and uh, i really appreciated what the filmmakers had to say that that they're concerned that that's taking away attention from what they wanted to get across was which which is the whole is, issue of our justice system and uh, they, they unveiled so much prosecutorial uh, malfeasance in this film. And uh, I, I found that, that uh, all the damning murder evidence, the, the evidence that was used to put Stephen Avery away for life, is tainted. And at the very, very least, uh, he should be not, he, there should be parole in his sentence because at the very least, uh, there is a shadow of doubt, uh, and and the, the, the film has left me thinking about all the other documentary films I've seen about justice, and and excuse me, injustice in America. <laughs> right. And and so I just I made a, a short list here of of uh, what's been going on with with justice and injustice here. We have draconian sentencing laws. We have an overburdened public defender system. We have prosecutorial malfeasance. We have covert and overt racism. We have treating drug addiction as a crime rather than as a public health problem. We have private prisons. We have an overarching American culture of revenge disguised as justice. And wow, I, well said. Well said, oh, thank, John. Thank, thank you. you. And, and I, I, thank you. And I have one more note. Is, uh, I saw a film a while back called Unlikely Friends by Leslie Neal. And this was my introduction to something called restorative justice. And I called Leslie before yesterday to talk about this film and justice. And I wanted to just clarify that what, what's going on with that. And she she helped me define uh, restorative justice as he, bringing healing to victims and healings to communities. And that's a really hard sell for for society, for society which sees which disguises. Justice, justice as revenge, or disguises, yeah, disguises revenge as, as justice. One of those two. I'm sorry, but uh, so that, that's what this film did to me. It, it, it just it, it brought home in a stronger fashion, a deeper fashion, uh, how vulnerable we are to having justice sabotaged. You are so right. That's really the whole point in my book. But I want to say, Leslie Neal won our grant for Unlikely Friends. Did you know that? 
Uh, you might have mentioned it before, but all I can say is yay. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, that is a brilliant film. And uh, so we should really, I don't think we've ever reviewed that. I'm glad you brought that up. Good thinking. All right. Well, I'll tell you, um, as you know, this has become the most popular film in 2016. You either love it or you turn it off and walk away. But the first hour made me sick because I was shocked and sorry and felt terrible for Avery. And uh, and I just kept sitting there in shock, realizing the power the police have to make a case against anyone. If they want you in jail, they have the power to put you there. It's frightening. You finally see that this man is vindicated. You start to relax a little bit. Then the end of part one comes, and you are immediately hooked into part two. The ending of part one was as good as any of the multi-million dollar TV or cable shows. Believe me. That takes you to part two, and you can't stop watching. You have to see that second film, and and then you begin to feel that terrible, sick stomach and think, oh, my God, they're doing it again. They are making a murderer. Oh, I, I tell you, it's an emotional film. It really affects you personally. These ten one-hour films are going to bring up a lot of questions. So what is justice? What does serve and protect mean? Are the police really there to serve and protect us or to serve and protect themselves? And when you watch that film, you'll know what I mean. Are the police really there? By the end of the film, you may not be so sure of what this answer is. The real question is, who killed Karen? Was it Avery? Was it his neighbor? Was it the ex-boyfriend? Many people have to watch it a second time just to look for more cues, clues. Rather, I think, Don, this is like a Poirot mystery, but you don't have a Poirot to solve it. Uh, I'm going to give you one tip when you start watching. Who went to Karen's online phone number, figured out her code, deleted the last few hours of texts and calls? Who could have the knowledge or authority to do such a thing? That's one very important question that will give your little gray cells something to think about. I didn't find an answer to that. And I say, Don, this is a brilliant work by a dedicated team of filmmakers who labored over 10 years to bring us a masterpiece of deceit, lies, trickery, and mayhem. And after that film, we went to uh, India. with Awake. So give us your review of this film. Awake is a biography of Parabahansa Yogananda, one of the early gurus to come to America. He came here in 1920, and he established a, a national presence for himself. He toured America. He toured the world, and he became a phenomenon, which is, which is striking because uh, this is a nation based upon monotheistic religions, and he was uh, presenting a mystical religion, and people were people were buying it. And I think they were buying it because he, he's a sweet man, and he was offering uh, pretty much uh, uh, yoga, meditation as health, as something that's good for your body, good for your mind, and good for your soul. And then for a few people that, that were touched by that, uh, they could then begin to study uh, the spirituality of, of Hinduism, which is quite different from from a monotheistic religion, and 
the film is directed by Paolo Di Florio and Lisa Lieben. And uh, in addition to telling Yogananda's story, that film is beautiful with images and music. And they, they really did, they did a great job of, of covering uh, Yogananda's life. They produced it over a period of three years, and they had contributions from 30 countries. And they also, you can't not cover a life like this. By the way, they covered it literally from birth to death. And you, you cannot cover this without the conflicts and the tragedies involved. And he had uh, his national reputation uh, began to be smirched when he, uh, uh, when, he when, when Yogananda discovered racism in the South, and and uh, he was horrified. And of course, he was a, a brown man himself. And uh, and we have some. Some noise, I, I, some noise out here, so I apologize if it's coming through. Uh, and and uh, he was attacked uh, viciously, uh, you know, in, in the press. Uh, another tragedy involving involving him in his life was that he had a beautiful community in Southern California, a, a yoga community, and he had a lieutenant that was taking care of it while he was promoting uh, yoga and meditation literally throughout the world, and there was a falling out between him and the lieutenant, and that caused a, a rift in the entire community. But uh, he, his life was triumphant, and, and he snuck a mystical, a mystical view of God into an otherwise monotheistic culture. The, uh, before I forget, the, the uh, website is uh, Awake, uh, awake the Yogananda movie. Excuse, excuse me. Awake the Yogananda movie. dot com. And uh, I thoroughly enjoyed this film, and I, I I loved learning about him, and I loved the way that they told his story. I totally agree with you. It is a marvelous film. You know, some of the personal stories actually made me stop the film and sit there and take in that information. Uh, people who were lucky enough to be part of his life or his teachings. Uh, still love him deeply and they're living what he taught them years ago and I always find that this is a sign to me of the truth of someone's teaching when you see happy contented people are still practicing meditation living good lives then you know that Yogananda did a great service to America you know he came here to bring us this ancient source of connection to our higher selves and he believed that we had the power to achieve what we wanted he thought that through meditation you connect to the universe and to your higher self. And his his book is still on the shelf after, what, 40 years or so? And people can find him today in that book. And this film will also help us understand who he was and how powerful his message is. For me, the relationship Yogananda had between science and spiritualism was the very best part. Just this little piece of the film will give you an idea of his far-reaching mind. He said, repeated performance of an action creates a mental blueprint which causes the formation of electrical pathways in the brain, somewhat like the grooves in a photograph record. Your life follows the grooves that you yourself have created in the brain. So it appears that Yogananda was talking about neuroplasticity, which is almost 60 years before Western doctors took an interest in it. And uh, so he he's the real thing. 
You said that Kira practice could rewire your brain and help eliminate unwanted habits. And he taught yoga to deepen your meditation. I, I just wonder what it would be like to leave your homeland, learn a new language and customs, be ridiculed daily for your skin color and your garments. That's quite a challenge to live with. But they said that he looked at you, and when he looked at you penetratingly, he was changing you. Um, and I loved watching Yogananda visit Mahatma Gandhi, and being, and we got to travel through India, and we got to see Hollywood in the 1930s and 35s. I really loved those parts, and the depth of love and compassion and support of your fellow man that was a constant thread in this film. I have to tell you, Don, my house was full of joy. When I turned that film off, this whole house was vibrating in a joyous fashion, and I was totally empowered. It was late in the evening. I'd worked hard all day, and I was up writing as if I was 30 years younger. I don't know, but I, I found that just listening to his words, watching the film, it was an empowering experience. Do you agree? Absolutely. Yeah, it I, was. I, that's all I can say. Yeah, I recommend this film. It's it's a beautiful piece of uh, biography. Yes, but Yogananda is still there. I mean, it's he's really captured in that film, and he truly comes through right into your heart. Now, the best part today is Petals in the Dust. Uh, and so, Don, give us your review. Okay, thanks, Carol. Uh, I discovered Petals of the Dust in a Facebook post by uh, one of the producers, Gino Caputi. And the moment I learned about it, I knew I had to see it because, uh, as I've, I've said before, my number one concern, my number one issue is in our environment. And number, uh, a close second, number two, is uh, misogyny. And uh, the misogyny, for some reason or other, just drives me crazy. And as I've lived my life, I've just discovered misogyny in all aspects of, of our, our lives and on this planet. And uh, Petals in the Dust, the subtitle is The Endangered Indian Girls. And it is written and directed by Nina Caputi. And the film describes the countless ways that females in India are suppressed oppressed, abused, killed, beginning from conception. And, uh, and it was devastating. It's an absolutely dev devastating film. And I consider it an, an absolute must-see. Uh, and it's a, the, another important point about this film is, yes, the focus is India, but the reality is global. And... Uh, and then one element that of this film it adds, that adds part of this film is that it takes us. This film takes us on the filmmaker's journey of discovery, and that adds power and that adds engagement to this film. So it is powerful, it is engaging, it is infuriating, and ultimately it's inspiring because it makes you want to do whatever else you can do to to just stop misogyny. And I am very grateful to this film. I, I have a strong emotional uh, response to this film. And, and uh, documentary films that cover painful topics, uh, difficult topics, they usually include information about what 
anyone can do about the topic. And, of course, the good news is uh, NINA does include plenty of uh, opportunities for us to make a difference. The, the website uh, for the film is petalsinthedust.com. There will be other ways you can learn about the film because we have NINA with us. And uh, Carol and I have had the pleasure and the honor of getting to talk with her. So, uh, Nina, are you there? I am there. Thank you for having me on the show. Okay, Carol, you want to? Yes, uh, Nina, I'm so happy to meet you. I really loved your film. Uh, everything Don said is right. You get very upset, and then you you get shocked, and then you. But you fall in love with India, which the bottom line is: we all love India, and we love the people and the concepts. And I just wanted to start with this opening statement by Mother Teresa in your film, saying the biggest disease today is not tuberculosis or leprosy, but rather the feeling of being unwanted. And on one of my trips to India, my daughter and I went to a a home for unwanted people that Mother Teresa ran. And I, I mean, it was from children, crippled children, to old adults who were no longer wanted. And I was in tears. And uh, the woman who ran the home said to me, why are you so unhappy? (laughs) These people are happy. They have a home. So I, it's just... The dichotomy of India, I mean, they recognized it. It was called the Home for Unwanted, and people took their unwanted there. So tell us how you found this film. Sure. So, you know, you were talking about being unwanted. So I was really lucky to be born into a family that valued daughters. You know, growing up, I heard from my father how he wanted to have four girls because he just had one brother. His mother was a single mom because their dad left the home when they were really young. So his mom, you know, was a teacher. She struggled to bring them up, but she, you know, gave them a good education, and they both grew up to be very strong, um, uh, uh, strong, successful men who loved their mother. And I think, I think part of the reason why my father was so supportive of women and girls was because, you know, his mother gave him the the support and love that made him see women in a positive light. And uh, so, yeah, so anyway, when growing up, he would say how he wanted four girls, and he was they only, they only had two kids in the end, me and my younger brother. So I felt very special being a daughter. I never thought any less of myself because there was no discrimination in the house. And also in the circles we moved in, you know, there didn't seem to be any signs of discrimination among my friends or family or or the or you know or the women in those families. So it was only later in life my husband and I. Uh, after I moved to the U.S., we w- visited an orphanage on one of our trips to India, and uh, you know the social worker uh, there told us how before the orphanage was built, they, people used to drown the ba- their baby girls in the nearby lake. And this is in uh, the outskirts of Bangalore, which is the Silicon Valley of India. Bangalore's kind of a more progressive city, it's fairly urban, and she also said it's still happening, you know, and this this was almost eight years ago, there was very little in the media about, uh, you know, infanticide, sex selection, the declining gender ratios, um, and this, this was such a big shock to me, I mean, I had heard about it, but not really paid much attention, then I went home and did more research, and I I learned that over 50 million girls, you know, have been killed in the last century, and 
that they, the numbers continue to decline despite India, you know, now being one of the largest economies and, you know, more people being educated. And I, my husband's a filmmaker and I, I you know, I told him, this, I want to do a documentary and the documentary is going to be about, initially it was just going to be about female infanticide and the declining gender ratios in India and why this is happening. So that's how, you know, initially decide, you know, this is what inspired me to uh, do the film because as I said, there was nothing in the media at that time or very little. It never made, uh, you know, the front page and I felt, you know, documentary film is so powerful. It can reach a lot of people. It can create a lot of impact and get people to change their minds. And, yes, uh, exactly. Yeah, so. Nina, it's bringing a subject like this to light, shining a light on it so we can all... De- find out what's going on, and now social networking is is so important on an issue like this where people talk about it and figure out how do you help these women. There's got to be a way even more than what's being done now, and I'm sure that can come. Again, this is crowds of people talking and solving problems together. But um, where did you get this number 50 million? You said over the last century. So during the 1900s, 50 million women were murdered. Yes, yes. I want to make sure. Excuse me. I want to make sure that our our people listening to us here. It's not. It is five zero fifty, not one five. Fifty million. It's more than the yeah. It's more than the number of people killed in World War One and Two. More than the number of people that died in the Holocaust, which are all horrible, you know, inhuman acts of violence and discrimination and genocide. So, um, you know, the the economists have done research and uh, come up with that number because, you know, usually there are more girls born than boys. uh, But, you know, as, but what they found was because so many, in other parts of the world, the ratios were stable, but in countries like India, China, some Eastern European countries, uh, some other Asian countries, the you know the the ratios of girls to boys, uh, you know, was huge. There was a big imbalance, and then when they did more research, they found that 50 million girls had been killed uh, either before birth or you know after they were born. And uh, you know, again, as I said, there was very there's been so little talk about this. I mean, everyone should be you know everyone should. This is huge because. What's also happening is because of this declining female ratio, there are in 20 years' time there'll be 20% more men than women in India. And any you know any country that can have that that has that kind of gender ratio can become very unstable. And it doesn't really make women more valuable because they're fewer. In fact, they become more of a target for different forms of gender violence, as you can see, you know, with the rapes that are happening. There's a lot of bride trafficking happening as well in areas where there are fewer women available, you know, for men to marry. So we're already beginning to feel, yeah, experience the consequences of this. What is bride trafficking? I've never heard of that one. So so in certain parts of North India where, where, you know, for centuries girls have been uh, eliminated, murdered, there are uh, when ma- men reach marriageable age, there are not enough women for them to marry because you know there, there are no women in the in their village. There are some villages where there are no women. So now these men are desperate to get married because in India marriage is still you know cons- you know most parents feel that their duty to their children is done when the kids get married. So uh, so these men want wives, and now there are middlemen, the marriage brokers, who go to. 
So there are two ways women are trafficked. One is they're kidnapped. Some of them are being kidnapped across the border from Nepal and uh, uh, Bangladesh. You know, they, they, you know, they, they, their families are told that, oh, we're going to get, you know, uh, jobs for your girls. Or sometimes they're just kidnapped, you know, when, you know, the girls are going to school. And then these, uh, you know, so either the marriage brokers or the middlemen then sell these girls to these men who are desperate to get married. Now, these uh, these um, men, very often they just want a wife so that the wife will produce a son. So once the woman has given birth to a son, they then, uh, you know, sell her to another man. So oh. these women are, yeah. So it, it, and, and very often these women don't speak the language. The culture is very different from, uh, you know, the culture and the language where they come from originally. So these women are really trapped. There's no one they can talk to about, you know, what they are experiencing and they can't escape. So bride trafficking is really huge right now uh, in India. And, uh, you know, again, it's something that people don't really... Now, in the film, we do talk about it and we do actually highlight a nonprofit called Empower People that, uh, you know, rescues these trafficked women. They're based in North India and they are going around to the various villages and trying to track these women down and help them get out of those situations. No, oh, Nina, Nina, it's not just the, the woman. It's also the dowry. And a, a woman's worth is measured by her dowry. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, dow- dowry, again, has been going on for centuries. Actually, dowry in India is illegal. But, uh, you know, like a lot of uh, other things that happen, people turn a blind eye. Very often, the people in power, the authorities themselves, you know, are guilty of asking for dowry when their sons get married. So, yes, it shows how little value women have, because even very educated women, women, you know, that, uh, that uh, you know, have jobs in the software industry, whether in India or even in the Indian diaspora, sometimes have to pay dowry to get married. And as I said, so many parents are so desperate to get their daughters married that they are willing to, you know, to meet the demands of these potential bridegrooms. My goodness, goodness. Well, I I have to say that this Petals tells a compelling story, and it keeps you glued to the screen. So your editor really stayed on track with the story of the missing girl. So how did you choose from all the footage to find the right information? (laughs) You did a good job with it. Yeah, I have to give our credit a lot. I have to give our editor a lot of credit. Her name is Shirley Gutierrez, and she's actually won two uh, Northern California Emmys. And uh, I just discovered her by chance. I belong to a a, a group called Chicks Chat, which is a, a Bay Area uh, filmmakers group. And I w- I think I put my trailer on on that uh, you know on the email, and I was asking people for feedback and advice. And Shirley and I started communicating and. You know, after she started giving me advice, and then you know, I, I learned she was she also edited. I brought her on board. So now we started this film almost eight years ago, and as I said, my focus was initially on infanticide. But since then, the film has had had evolved because as I travel across India, I realize you know, girls are not just being killed before or after birth, but also they're endangered at every stage in their life. And uh, so we had we have over 100 hours of footage, and you know, this film kept changing, uh, you know, the direction. So when we did bring Shirley on board, the first thing we did was kind of uh, structure the film and decide what the story was and how it was going to end. Now, my husband, Gino, is also an editor, but this was our first documentary, and we had put together some kind of 
rough structure. We had the beginning and the end and some stuff in the middle. And I remember when Shirley first saw the end, which was just a lot of talking heads, you know, of activists. She said, I want to, I'm so tired, it makes me want to lie down and go to sleep. So, you know, so she worked with us. In both Gino and she thought I needed to come, be brought into the film and, you know, tell the story through my eyes. So once she told us that we were able to go through the footage and, just, and also break it up into sections, if you see every section of the film starts with a quote, leading to a particular topic. So we start with, you know, infant abandonment, unwanted children, then going into infanticide, sex selection, then we go into, you know, um, sex selection and discrimination in North America, and then we go back to the, uh, you know, the forms of gender violence against adult women and the consequences, and then finally we end with, you know, positive stories from our subjects. So, uh, so yes. This is good. I love the beginning where all the girls were saying what they wanted to do when they grew up and they had no uh, limit on what they could ask for. And some of them sounded very determined. That was a great beginning. Yeah, that uh, that was Gino Caputi, my husband. Uh, that was, you know, when he started the film, he said, I want to start with that. So he, when we were shooting in India, he did shoot all these little girls. So we had the, the beginning concept right off the bat it was you know the later part in the ending yes it is and you know the and i we did want to start with this to you know to especially for parents to see look my daughters are capable of so much you know how can i snuff out their lives you know they can do so much for for this country or you know for the community so it was very important for us and the girls were excited to be part of the film as well many of those girls actually are in orphanages in india or some of them have been adopted by uh, families here in the U.S., so we also tried to bring some oh. of those girls into the film. Oh, how marvelous that you helped them get uh, adopted. I raised a, a girl in India through the Christian Children Fund, and she lived in Bangalore. And oh, wow. I loved it. I, Nina, I, I went. My first trip to India was to meet her and take her to the Taj and the Red Rose City and all the places and it was the Christian children uh, people that helped me, and they came and translated. And we had so much fun because she had me wearing a sari, and I was oh, really? unraveling all the time, and she would just laugh. We had such a great time. But I'll tell you that we I took her, of course, to really nice restaurants, and I this was a change for her, and she didn't know how to eat with a fork. So I remember we were in a nice restaurant one night, and she was trying, and she finally put the fork down and looked at me like I give up. So she started eating with her fingers, and the waiter walked up with a shocked look, and I just <laughs> gave him a stare that would have killed anybody else. And he gave me, he shrugged his shoulders, raised his hands, and walked away and left me alone. <laughs> we had yeah. so much fun. Now, she... Is she was from a dirt hut. She learned mm-hmm. English. I sent her money to learn English, and mm-hmm. uh, then I went back and helped her get her trousseau and her gold stuff so she could get married. Mm-hmm. And uh, she married a, a. She always wanted to be a nurse, but they wouldn't let her. And so she married a guy who worked in a hospital, and their child now is an engineer. Think about that. Wow, that's amazing. Isn't that amazing? Second generation that's, out of poverty. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah. But these are things that can be done with love and support. 
I mean, because right, I right. was in constant contact with him, and I went to see, I was over there four times with her. Wow, that's wonderful, Carol. Really amazing yeah. story. Yeah. This, but I love India. You you can't help it. You just love the people in the country. So right. I sincerely thank you for this film to bring all this information to us. It's so full of love, and um, and the girls are so precious. So, Don, uh, I know you have questions. I don't want to hog all the time. Go ahead. Tell us. Oh well, I I have a a comment, and at this point, uh, just just one or two questions at the most. Uh, Am I the first person, or I must not be the first person, to suggest that your story, Nina, of discovery and your response to it is reminiscent of the Buddha's story? Uh, no, the other person to mention that. I am the first. That. Yes. You you left the, you left the palace only to only to discover the horrors. <laughs> uh, yes. And uh, and so at this point in time. Uh, well, I have a couple of questions here. How has your life changed since the film was released? Uh, my, you know, I, one thing that you know, when when the film was finally completed, I was so it was like wow, you know, because it was it took us seven years to make the film, three trips to India, uh, we also shot in the U.S., we traveled to Canada, so and it was it, it was it was a very Stressful. I mean, heartwarming because you know you hear these stories of hope and you're so inspired by the women and the activists doing all this amazing work. But it was also filled with a lot of stress and tension. We, you know, um, and you know, the, as you said, discovery. But the discoveries weren't always easy. So, but it's, there was a huge sense of relief, relief when uh, relief when we finally completed the film and uh, you know got accepted into the San Francisco Documentary Film Festival. It premiered there. And actually, at the at the, on the uh, at the premiere, we had, I believe, seventeen girls from India. We uh, they were actually traveling to in, uh, to the U.S. Uh, their daughters are uh, sex workers in in India. Women who were, many of them were kidnapped and forced into prostitution. But there's a nonprofit called Kranti that has you know got these girls out of the brothels and they're teaching them life skills and educating them. So these. 17 or 18 girls with the founder of the non-profit Kranti attended my premiere and they, the girls were all in tears and at the end of the screening I had them come up on stage and speak briefly about their lives and how their lives have changed. So it was so, you know, it was for the audience and for me, this couldn't have been a more perfect moment because my whole goal with doing Petals in the Dust was how can people... How can we make a difference? So you've seen the film, what can you do next? And I, I know a lot of people in the audience reached out to those women uh, and girls, to, you know, to support them financially or promote their cause. And uh, But, you know, the work never ends because, after, you know, after that, one has to constantly um, reach out to people to host screenings. You have to, you know, I, I still have to, fun, you know, continue fundraising because I need to raise money to, you know, to do outreach, get the film out there. So, you know, the work doesn't end, but it's exciting. It's exciting to see this next stage. And a lot of tech companies now are interested in screening our film, which is, again, huge. We had a screening at Google last week, you know, because they all have large Indian um, uh, net groups of employees at these companies. They have the money and the manpower to make a difference. Many of them 
have uh, you know companies in india as well so i'm excited to see you know this this the the direction petals in the dust is taking besides doing the community screenings and film festivals and university screenings Oh, I think that's wonderful. And, you know, we had uh, on uh, on our Blog Talk radio show, we had Nicholas Gandhi, uh, G-O-N-D-A, Gandhi, on oh. from TUG, T-U-G-G dot com. And I oh. highly recommend you check out his service for uh, screenings across the country. Yeah, I am in talks with TUG. It's just uh, I have to fill out the paperwork. But uh, thank you for suggesting that I am I'm definitely going to be using Tug to get my you know so more people can have the opportunity to screen petals in the dust because as and I think that's Dawn's next question right I want to get this year my goal is to get 1 million people to view petals in the dust so I have to use platforms like Tug to get it out there yeah my question and, is how can we help make that happen uh by you know helping me spread the word con- you know connecting me with um, with organizations or universities or other people like yourselves who are connected and are interested in film interested in social justice issues uh you know just having me on 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 this uh you know show today uh and reviewing my film itself you know helps to get more people interested get you know help us get more outreach there if you you know if uh, would love to apply for a grant from the Heart Productions if they're still available for outreach, you know. So, that, so the, you know, there's a lot that um, people can do to support our film. You know, people can refer to our website. We have the host to screening link there, and we have screenings that have taken taken place and are also going to happen this year. March 8th is International Women's Day, so we have a lot of people interested in screening the film in March because it's also... Domestic Violence Awareness Month. This is wonderful. This is wonderful. We will keep sharing it and uh, and supporting you. So you have to keep us on your uh, marketing uh, mailing list so we know what's Absolutely. going on. Absolutely. Well, we thank you so much for your time and your dedication in bringing this subject to light. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your show, and it's been an honor to speak to you, Carol. I've heard a lot of a lot of wonderful things about you and your your organization. So to you know finally speak to you on a radio show is indeed a, a very fabulous and fantastic for me. So thank you, and thank you, Dawn, for making it happen and for you know uh, writing that review and connecting me with Carol. I really oh, appreciate it. You. We, well, the, listen, you should apply for the for summer, spring grant coming up April 30th or the June grant, either one. They're all online. Okay. We would welcome your submission. Thank you so much, Carol. I really appreciate it. Okay. Right. Good well, care. Let's also, let's, uh, let, let's let our listeners know that um, the place online that she's going to go to to apply for the grant is fromtheheartproductions.com. Okay, thank you. Thank you. And my website my website is petalsinthedust.com and uh you uh, I think Car- Carol you also want to know how people can support nonprofits that were featured in the film. So yes. I have a section, yeah. So there is a section on the website called Take Action, Get Involved and people we have all the nonprofits listed like Navjoti which was started by Kiran Bedi, the you know, the woman police officer and uh, Bal Gokulam which helps abandoned baby girls. So there's all those nonprofits listed there. 
people can, you know, reach out to them through the website. Oh, that's good to know because I really like that police officer and I like the work she's doing. So I definitely want to support her. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Okay. Have a Okay, bye-bye. Have a good day. Bye. Thank you, Nina, Dawn, Carol. Everyone be well. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Now, in its second edition, Carol Dean's popular book, The Art of Film Funding, has 12 new chapters to cover all areas of film financing and how to avoid expensive pitfalls. Learn how to start with an idea and end with a trailer. How to make an ask for money. Create your story structure and your trailer. Legal advice, fair use, successful crowdfunding, how to ask for music rights, and what insurance you can't shoot without. Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com. I want to remind our listeners that David Raiklin is a brilliant and talented award-winning musician who scores films and can compose music for a trio or for a full orchestra. David is a very good friend to the independent filmmaker and comes highly recommended by From the Heart Productions. If you need music to help tell your story, please contact him at davidraiklin.com. That's David, R-A-I-K-L-E-N dot com. And Carol and I want to thank you for tuning in to The Art of Film Funding. Please visit our website at fromtheheartproductions.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Good luck with your films, everyone.